0: I was working on a show about Alzheimer's disease and I started to think about people with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia who've been in long-term care and how there could have been a really significant decline in their cognitive abilities. Some may still have recognized people 18 months ago, but they're now into full dementia and their family has missed those final months of awareness. I reached out to the Alzheimer's Association of Niagara, and the manager of fund development, Cassandra Best, is with me today to talk about her mom, who has Alzheimer's and is in long-term care. Hi, Cassandra. Thanks for coming on the show today. Your mom has Alzheimer's. You've been a caregiver for your mom since she was diagnosed, and I know she's now in long-term care, but how old was she when she was first diagnosed with Alzheimer's?
1: She was 57 years old and her actual diagnosis was early onset Alzheimer's disease and frontal temporal dementia. Part of the signs that we noticed, because my grandfather had Alzheimer's disease, her own father at the same time, and he asked the same questions over and over again. My mom never did that. What she would do was maybe say things that were a bit funny, that didn't quite align with what the conversation subject matter was or not taking directions well, like they had just gotten a Keurig and she just couldn't figure out how to use it. Something that seemed pretty basic, um, but was new and she just wasn't able to grasp it. So we kind of noticed these weird little things that it took us a while to get at the fact that maybe this is dementia because she was also only 57.
0: You know, I've known some people with early onset Alzheimer's and I imagine it's extremely difficult for The person. So it must have been extremely difficult for your mom to say, Well, hang on a second. I'm only fifty seven. How was this how was this happening to me? Did did she push back against uh, a diagnosis of of dementia? Yes.
1: Now We missed the early stages. Like she was still running like a communications department for a municipal government. She was still working in the early stages of the disease because we pretty much missed it entirely. Like by the time she got the diagnosis, she was probably in sort of the mid stages of the disease. She was let go from her job because obviously she was making errors. And again, we didn't know the details until after the fact, it wasn't until she'd been, you know, out of work for a year or more that we were like, this is weird, like, is she applying for other jobs and noticing all of these things because she wasn't also working any anymore and also wasn't u- using her brain the same way that she
0: was. So you could almost think, well, it's just because she's not doing anything and not thinking about anything. So therefore, she's not as sharp I thought as she was. Oh, okay.
1: She was sitting here like watching cat videos, not getting dressed. And I'm like, well, her dad has dementia. They had to take his car away from him and she doesn't have a job. So I really thought that it was I definitely was like there is something she is struggling with, some kind of um, mental health issue. Um, And I was like, she needs to get help. But it took a while to get to dementia. And how do you. If someone doesn't reach out to get help, what can you do? You can't really force someone who is your mother and is 57 years old to do that, to get help.
0: And your mom's uh, condition and her ability to function on her own decreased quite rapidly.
1: Yes, it was very fast. And, and, and that is what they, they've told me. That is what you see is more common with younger onset. It does progress faster which just seems like extra cruel, really.
0: Was she still living on her own?
1: So she was living with my dad, but the problem was, and this is the other horrible tragedy about young onset, is that they were still working. They were not retired yet. They were actually not even close to being (laughs) retired, really. The plan was still to be working for quite a number more years. So my dad was working full time. And so it was getting to be very difficult to care for her. I had young children, I tried to give him respite as much as possible. I was there every week. I took her for a weekend every month to try to give him a break because while he was getting respite, it was only for six hours during the day while he was at work. So he was getting no actual break. Right. So it was really difficult. And it just, it, it got, it, it gets to be unmanageable. Like it just, she, she, um, was Picked up, so she was going to uh, a day program, and she was picked up on the streets. She was just wandering. She's like, "I'm gonna go for a walk. I don't know where." She thought she was walking, and they luckily they found her and and were able to pick her up and bring her to the day program. And we got notified, but it got to be very scary that she just couldn't. My dad would have to quit his job, which he just absolutely could not afford to do, and care for her full time. And I was actually really worried about my dad's health at this point because it is so intense to care for someone. Um, like that, especially in a full-time capacity with very little respite. And again, I had young children. I was also yeah. dealing with that. And I was getting no respite because I have young children, plus a job, and I'm trying to help out too. Well, and so- you're worrying
0: all the time. Yeah. You know, It must always kind of be there. Now, uh, the wandering, I know that that's very common. We see it in the news all the time that there's a senior who's missing, and, and generally it has to do with some level of dementia. Uh so I'm I've I've heard from people that they literally had to to lock the door when they left the house so that their mother or father, whoever it was, could not get out of the house because once, you know, they don't know where they live. So if somebody does find them, they actually don't know where they live. Uh so your mom moves into long term care and Was she still aware enough at that point that that was what was happening? Or was she at the stage by then where she wasn't saying, you know, I'm not ready for this?
1: So um, the other I guess the other piece I should mention with her um, diagnosis is that she lost her vocabulary. Not totally, but I, and I think this is, again, I'm, I'm not clinical at all. I'm speaking just from what I recall the doctors telling me, but I, I think because of with the frontal temporal dementia, um, it affected her ability to find words. And so she wasn't able, I think I've always felt personally as her daughter, she understood more than she could say back to me. So she might have had more of awareness of the situation, but she couldn't find the proper words to tell people that.
0: What a horrible situation for someone to to be to you know, to, to be aware and not be able to express. Uh, she was in her early 60s uh, when so uh, what was it about five years after her? first she, diagnosis you moved
1: in well I guess she, she would have been 58 so it happened pretty quickly because it just again it got to be an unmanageable situation for us um, and so we put her on a list uh, to get into long-term care relatively quickly and also because the list the wait times
0: to get into long-term care can be years yes so yes. it
1: was one of those things where it was like especially well, we got- if
0: you want to get one locally. Yeah. So, you know, often there's a case where uh, somebody, because they really need it right away, there's no space in Niagara. They end up having to um, go to a different community where there is space.
1: And I was actually moving her to Niagara because I'm in Niagara. Oh, okay. In Niagara. But where she was, oh, there was even less options.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The
1: actual town that she was from, there was sorry, it wasn't even the same town. It was like the nearest town was like half an hour away for the closest, one of the closest ones that she was qualified for because she needed a secure unit. That's important to know. If she didn't need a secure unit, she would have had a bit more
0: options. So let's just talk a bit about COVID and it's, it's actually, uh, I I had been thinking for quite some time about talking to someone like you who had um, a loved one, a parent or, or a spouse with Alzheimer's. And then, I saw a story about a family who had a son who was severely nonverbal autistic and was in a group home and because they weren't able to see him for a period of time during COVID, quite a long period of time during COVID, when they were able to see him again, there was no recognition on his part that he knew them and, you know, it was tragic for them. So I started thinking, well, if you have Alzheimer's and you're in long-term care and your family can't really physically be with you for the better part of 17 months, you must have seen a change in her and a part of her life as she declined that you couldn't be part of. So when you were first able to see her or those brief periods of time in COVID there would have been big changes that you missed and she missed
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's it's been
1: intense the first it was I think that I I keep thinking back to it it's early March 2019 I was visiting her and if I would have known that was the last time that I could see her walk away from me like it was crazy. We visited, there was no masks and she was walking and she was able to still, like I could bring her a cupcake for her birthday because her birthday was just at the end of January. And so all of those things I, I couldn't, And now I can't do. So now she's fully in a wheelchair. She needs to be fully spoon fed period food. Like I, I keep thinking back and I was like, wow, I, you just wouldn't have known. Like that was the last time I saw her walk away. Like the last time I saw her walking, like The last time I could bring her a cupcake for her birthday, the last time that she could have her grandson sitting on her lap, like,
0: or you could hug her or have any kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah. That was a huge one for me that I really struggled with because by the time I was allowed to hug her, she couldn't, she didn't know how to hug me back.
0: Yeah. Um, And then so most of the time you were waving to a window to someone who may not even understand based on what you're you're telling me the symptoms for your mom, she may not even understand what waving from the window is.
1: So that was another powerful moment, I will say, because all of our first visits were through a a computer. And she, it was a little bit funny, a little bit of humor in this moment, because I remember when she was still living at home and she would be convinced the TV was talking to her. And we're like, no, mom, like the TV's not talking to you. And right. um, now I'm like, the TV's talking
0: to her. Like,
1: right what right great
0: message this is. That yeah.
1: now I'm like, hi, mom. And I'm like yeah. getting my kids. By the
0: way, it didn't used to talk to you, but now it is talking to you, but don't worry. There what were a times.
1: Message, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And But there were times that, you were able to go in over that 17 month period, but full on PPE. So gown, mask, the the plex the she the plastic shield. And then in addition, there would was a plexiglass divider. Yeah. I can't imagine how scary that must have been for her.
1: So the first time I went for the window visit, I'll go I'll just go back to that, I was really thinking that she would not recognize me. And I was really mentally, emotionally prepared for that because I do find that in COVID and there's an emotional preparation that needs to come from these visits, which maybe, maybe not everyone feels that way, but for me there is because there is grief. There's a lot of grief around that. And I know I need to, now I know I didn't always know this about myself. I need to make a little bit of space for that. Like I, it's going to be hard. I'm going to visit her. I'm going to feel glad that I saw her, but I am going to be sad. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm emotionally prepared. She's not going to recognize me. It's been how many months now? Um, because we even window visits weren't allowed for a while. Um, I'm going to be wearing, I don't, did I have to wear a mask then? I don't, I probably, but <laughs> I was emotionally prepared for her to not recognize me. So when I got to the window and she looked at me and started to tear up, I came undone. I was like, she does remember me. And she's sad. She misses me. And I wasn't prepared for that. I was prepared for her to not remember me. And that was, that was really, that was also quite difficult, but I wasn't emotionally prepared for that difficulty. Right. Like she recognized me, um, or not that I'm her daughter, maybe, but that I'm someone that is special to her and she hasn't seen me and she can't understand why.
0: Right.
1: So then when we were able to have our first visit, like you were saying, with the plexiglass. It was, that one was still just mask only because it was outdoors. It was six feet, more than six feet apart. They give us a walkie talkie, which she did not know how to use.
0: Wow. And
1: it was supervised. There was one sitting there with her. So even if I was trying to illegally go for my hug, I, I, I couldn't have. Um, And she kept it was a busy there's lots of cars passing because of COVID they have only one entrance and exit because everyone needs to be screened. So there was constantly people walking by she was looking at them the whole time she didn't even look at me or acknowledge me. And I never did one of those visits again. It was, I was heartbreaking, it felt like a bit of a prison visit. And it just and it's not it's not the home's fault. I, I know they were just following the guidelines set out for them. I don't, I don't blame them for that. But it was, it seemed to me absolutely worthless. And I said to her, I said to the supervisor that was there for the visit, cause also think about how much staff time that's taking up. But anyway, I was like, I just wish I could hug my mom. And she's like, I'll hug her for you. And she hugged her for me. And I thought, how, how does this make any sense?
0: Well, I guess it I guess it does mean that there's some sort of, there's, there's human touch and human emotion and feeling that, uh, and, You know at that stage that might have been the most important thing to your mom it it it, maybe it didn't matter as much who was giving the hugging if she didn't really recognize you anymore but it's nice to hear a story like that that someone in the you know who was caring for her would a hug and i know that i've talked to other people who worked in long-term care and the hardest thing for them was not being able to have that kind of contact for them as well and then you know being in ppe and really feeling like they could not have any connection at all
1: so that well that was next i became an essential caregiver and i was able to go in but i couldn't bring my children which is another thing i think it's important to know none of these visits other than the window visits were I able to bring my children who i do have with me a lot my husband works shifts and we've always come in together and we've always visited everybody my kids uh, like to they would make the rounds and people loved watching them so I became an essential caregiver and i could go in and i could help with feeding her and that's when yes i had to do the full visor plus the mask and it was still at that point not really supposed to touch or unless there was a reason like i was helping with
0: feeding her but it was it was did also- she know who you were at that at that stage i still because be- we're probably <laughs> just talking right re- fairly recently in the last uh,
1: i became an essential caregiver in the fall okay Um so i guess it's been closer to a year now. Um, but I've always maintained that she has always recognized me as a special person, even still, cause I visited her on the weekend and there was like that look that she she lit up a little bit. I still, she hasn't known my name in years. She probably hasn't known I'm her daughter in a long time, but there is a recognition that I am someone that is special to her and my children are someone that is.
0: Yeah. That's really, really comforting, isn't it? Maybe I
1: have to make that up and believe that for my own, um, like my own piece. But but you I... know,
0: it's so important, though, because this is happening to you as well. This isn't just happening to your mom. There's significant emotional, like you said, emotional, psychological, probably even physical because you became exhausted. Uh, situation for you that's that's very difficult and i think that people need to understand anybody who who has a loved one or someone close to them with dementia does understand how hard it is uh, emotionally and, and physically as well you now work at the alzheimer's society of niagara and your reason for for working there is because of your mom
1: yes yes i really um felt like I had no idea. I was very sort of ignorant to what Alzheimer's disease looked like and what it, what it did to people. It was like, you know, well, maybe when someone's much older and maybe they forget where their car keys are. Like I didn't know sort of the severity and the depth of what it did to, to people and to families. And I really wanted to make a bit of a change to help with advocacy. And I had a sales background. So Uh, when this role became available as the manager of fund development here, I was like, I, I, I want to help. I want to help raise money for programs locally for families like mine and what we went through and to get that support that is been needed in this past year and a half more than ever.
0: Yes, absolutely. If someone is concerned about, about a person that, you know, feels they might be experiencing some dementia and not really quite understanding what it is. Because like you said, there are various different kinds of dementia. Can they reach out to uh, the Alzheimer's Society for some support and some guidance on, on what to do? Where do you go? What can you expect when you go to a doctor? And all of those unknowns and scary things that, that a person would have to go through.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's a big thing um, that we always like to tell people you don't need a diagnosis, you don't need a referral. You can literally just be worried about someone's cognitive function. They might even just be your neighbor and you're like, right, I don't know what's going on with that. I want to, I want to get some ideas or some resources or some help. And we are here for that. We never we have not closed down we've switched a lot of our programming to virtual but we're still here to help and you can go to our website and fill out a self-referral form and that's AlzheimerNiagara.ca, or you can call and um we will put you through to our intake and find out what sort of help you need Uh, that's always ongoing and you don't need to wait for a doctor referral or diagnosis like that can be done um, by yourself
0: when well, that's interesting too that it doesn't act doesn't have to be a family member it could be a friend uh it could be a neighbor who's concerned i live on a street where there are a lot of older people and and we've i've known two people in the time that i've lived here and, who have developed dementia and uh you know it was it was difficult for their friends on the street and of course the friends on the street were the people who noticed it first, actually, before the family, because you see them all the time. Right? Right. I mean, if you don't if you don't see them all the time or a lot of it's phone calls, you might not be able to recognize the symptoms. So I think it is important that people understand that you uh, there doesn't have to be a diagnosis. You don't have to be a family member. And uh, there is support of all different kinds. And it's free. I, I should have had the thing, I guess. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, So, yes. So at Alzheimer's Society Niagara dot C.A. Alzheimer Niagara, Alzheimer Niagara dot C.A. That is the place to go. If uh, if you have any questions or need some information, there's a lot of programs. If you go on the website, there's a lot of programs to help people. Cassandra, thank you so much for talking about this. It's uh, it's so interesting. Um, dementia is such a, a broad subject and so interesting anyway. But the challenges during COVID, of course, everybody has had challenges. But uh, the people who were in long-term care and their families um, really, I I believe, had the the brunt of of for so many reasons of of COVID. So um, thank you. <laughs> And it's good to know that there is Alzheimer's Society in Niagara and that people have a place to reach out. That's
1: right. And I think if I, if I just may, because I also am the manager of fund development, we do need to raise a half a million dollars every year to maintain our, our services, our programs and services. So we do receive government funding, but it's just not enough. It hasn't increased. Our base funding hasn't increased in 10 years. And you can imagine how many more people have been diagnosed with dementia in that time. So if people are able to give back and help out families that are going through this in our own community, all money stays in Niagara, please, please, please also uh, look into ways that you can support. And you can also get all that information from the AlzheimerNiagara.ca. We have a raffle going on. Uh, We have our coffee break, uh, anything for Alzheimer's fundraiser going on. Um, A lot of different ways that people can support. It's really appreciated. And we are also always looking for volunteer um, volunteers to help in any capacity. We have volunteers in all different ways, whether it's um, friendly visiting, which has been happening like this over Zoom or over the phone, um, and uh, volunteers in our fundraising for those that, you know, maybe want to get some experience event planning. There's all kinds of different opportunities available.
0: Thanks so much for, uh, for coming on and talking to me about this. I'm going to check in again. January is Alzheimer's month. And I know that's a few months down the road, but um, I'll be back in touch then to talk about what that month means and how people can get involved in January. But I always feel that every month is Alzheimer's month. Every month is mental health month. It's not something that we just do once a year.
1: That's right. It's, it's all, all the time especially for those of us living it, right? It's all the time.